The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the scheme and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. This is the Stepover Pod with Jim Adair and Max Rappaport. Keep the conversation going on Twitter at the Stepover Pod and on Facebook at the Stepover Podcast. Now, let's talk Sixers. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Stepover Pod. Uh, that's right, episode number, we didn't even bother looking anything up, so it's just 65. Uh, I am Jim, with me as always is Max Rappaport. Max, how are you doing? Doing great, Jim. Max, how's the weather there in Seattle? Uh, today was actually unseasonably rainy. Uh, it is. Uh, is that is that such a thing in Seattle? Well, so so rainy? I think so. Everyone that I tell them I've moved to Seattle or talked about moving to Seattle, they're like, "Oh, it rains all the time. That must suck." But it's actually like really season. It gets about the same rain overall as Philadelphia, um, but it's just condensed into the winter. So from like November to March and April, it just like rains every day basically and like drizzles. And then the summer is like like when I moved here last August uh, or last July, it was in the middle of what ended up I think being fifty straight days of no rain. So it, it's kind of like wow. Southern California in the summer, where it's just like dry and and warm. Um, so we just went like a few weeks without rain, and then today was like thunderstorms and stuff. Well, it, it actually just started raining here in South Philadelphia. So mm. I just I just heard the the splatter on the windows, but. Uh yeah, I will, I bet it better be good not rainy weather when I go out there. In, no, it's in, good. What a they, month! They tell me they do. They do tell me that July Fourth is like the cutoff of like that's when it is at its best, and you can be pretty confident mm. that like any time after July Fourth and before like September that it's going to be sunny. Cool, because I'll be out there late July. We will most likely not record a podcast when I'm there. <laughs> hey, we, m- we might we, to talk we about. might. Uh, We're going to be able to talk about like July twentieth. I'm on, dude. I'm on vacation. I ain't sitting inside your apartment doing a podcast with you, even though I'm staying with you. Le- Lebr- LeBron James uh, Instagram stuff, off season. Right. Also, stuff. it's cool. It's cool that I stay with you, right? We have we talked about this. Was it? yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good. Cool. Perfect. Let's let's work out the details on the pod. It's yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. I just want to meet your dog. Is the only thing. That's what I'm excited about. I'm just coming. I'm not even visiting you. I'm just visiting your dog. Can you read off your your um, record locator for your site for your flight? That would be helpful too. Oh, I don't even have that. I don't have that. I know. If, I think I know what time my flight leaves. If anyone wants to just look it up for me and then tweet it at me, I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to give that information out. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, Brian Colangelo, since we last spoke, <laughs> uh, is uh, in a different state of employment than he was then. Then he was employed, and now he is not. Shall we discuss? Let's talk about it. We. I feel okay, like it's uh, it's been a little bit. It's been a little while. In in. Burnergate years it's been like yeah. 15 years since he got fired or since he resigned yes. 
So it has been. we don't need to talk yeah. about it that much, but let's give our like basic reactions. And also, I guess, like, talk a little bit about Brett Brown being like the de facto president of basketball yeah. operations for the like time being and seemingly through free agency unless something crazy happens. Yeah, the collar is currently shrinking like that wilting rose in Beauty and the Beast. Um, so, yeah, uh, the announcement was on, I believe, was it Thursday? Uh, that sounds right. Oh, yeah, yeah, Thursday morning. Yeah, Thursday it was Thursday morning. morning. Um, I was at work. Uh, our good friend Patrick Wall, who I work with, uh, sprinted. I say sprinted. He said he didn't sprint, but I'm pretty sure he sprinted down to where I was. Because I didn't look at my Woj alert yet. Uh, with his fists in the air. Very excited about it. So that was great. Uh, it was... Let me ask you this. Let's start off with this. Did you fully expect them to actually get, let go of him? And did the process of them letting go of him go the way you expected? So um, I guess I'll give a, a breakdown of where my head was at throughout. Like day one, I was thinking like, okay... There's like a 50% chance he stays or 60%. This is like when the article came out. I was still thinking like, okay, more than likely they're going to deflect and he's going to stay and it's nothing's going to really come of this. Then mm-hmm. once the Sixers came out with their statement um, that they were taking it seriously and investigating and all that, I was like, okay, they, they didn't defend him. They didn't deflect. They were taking it seriously and it seemed like you wouldn't phrase it quite that way if you were trying to just move past it, uh, move on and find a new slant, as it were. Uh, as you were, yeah. So that was – then I was like, okay, he's probably has like a 20 or 25% chance of staying at this point. Then that like went down a little bit as, as Twitter def- detectives started, you know, uncovering even more and like message boards and uh, all that stuff and, and the stuff with his wife. I was like, okay, this seems like he's definitely going to have to be fired. Then there was a point like where I really thought they weren't going to fire him, where stuff yeah, started coming out, and they just the way that you know they said it would probably be Friday, then it, then the whole weekend went by, and then Monday nothing happened, Tuesday nothing happened. Uh, their reporting from Keith Pompey, I think, was like the team is trying to figure out if they can you know move on with him, you know, and, and build back trust. And I was like, okay, this seems right. like what you'd put out if you're trying to keep him. Uh, yeah. So it was kind of a roller coaster, but I think in the end, the sense I get is that uh, some of that was Colangelo, you know, posturing. Some of that was the team like trying to maybe do him a favor in terms of like, you know, doing a bit of damage control for his reputation on the way out. And and you know, all right, we're resign. You're allowing you to resign, you know, willfully for the good of the team. All that mm-hmm. bullshit, and, and and put out there that you know the team doesn't think that he was had knowledge of the accounts or didn't run the accounts, all that stuff like seems like, okay, this is for his benefit and to just yeah. do this peacefully and not have him, you know, uh, cause a fuss on the way out. Yeah. I mean, I think I had the same thing to do. I kept going back and forth each, each day that passed. I'm like, all right, it's not going to happen. They're going to keep them. They're going to keep them. And then Woj would report something that I'm like, all right, well that's wavering. And I'm like, he's definitely got to be gone. And then I think about it more. I'm like, well, him and Woj don't really seem to get along. Woj doesn't seem to like him very much, so maybe it's part of that. Um, each person's source is on a different side of the camp, so who's t- who's telling who what? Um, and then as they brought the investigation thing in, and the way that the actual release was worded and stuff, and with Brian releasing his release, uh, still claiming his innocence, which was also sent out by Sixers, uh, to the, at least to the same list uh, that the Sixers PR sends the releases out to. 
which was also, you know, a solid to do. Um, that struck me as he kept protesting to the very, very end, and they were like, listen, this is your last chance to say you resign or we're going to fire you. So it's now or never. And then he was like, shit, okay, I'm, I'm resigning. And then throwing my wife immediately under the bus as quickly as possible. Um, I do want to say this before we move on from, from the Colangelo thing and on to kind of talking about a little bit of the future and what Brett Brown's role is in this and what it means. Um, ben Dietrich, who, who wrote this whole thing, uh, he has a podcast, uh, The Cookies Pod, I believe it's called, or just yeah. Cookies. It's on Spotify as well. Uh, their most recent episode, uh, he read off some other uh, uh, still balling tweets and un- uh, enough un- uncone sources tweets um, that were not in the report and that people hadn't really found out as much about because those accounts were locked that kind of give a whole new angle to it. For example, I will not steal their thunder. You should listen to the podcast, but there's a whole angle where the Colangelo family seems to believe that it's Daryl Morey's fault that Mattia Colangelo didn't get into MIT, uh, which is a very fascinating uh, new slant to the whole story as well. To MIT? So definitely give that a listen. Yeah, Mattia Colangelo he, wanted to get into MIT, college, apparently. Does MIT even have a basketball team? Like, isn't he a college basketball player? Uh, yeah, but I think, I mean, he wanted to go to MIT. Yeah, I guess if you get uh, into and, MIT and you're... Uh, like a, a bench player for University of Chicago, you probably take the MIT route. University of right, Chicago is a good school, though. It's a very good school. I mean, obviously, if you were even borderline MIT, you have places to go. But supposedly, they think there's some kind of connection with the Sloan Conference and Maury and MIT and Hinky as well, basically being petty and and crushing the dreams of an 18-year-old boy, which uh, sounds bonkers and <laughs> like is fucking weird oh, as hell. Man. But yeah. Definitely give that a listen. There's a couple other ones, too. There's some stuff about Woj in there, some stuff about LeBron. Uh, definitely worth the listen. I, I will say, um, I will say could we, before we move on to the future, yeah. do you believe that it was actually only uh, Barbara who was tweeting? I believe it was mostly Barbara. I agree with that. I think mostly is correct. I think only is impossible for me to believe. Just I agree reading, with And just reading the cadence of the tweets and the wording. and I mean, mm-hmm. like Barbara's not tweeting about, like, uh, fringe 80s players and teams and like going into enormous detail about the like media uh, slant at the time in like the 80s yeah. about, around the Detroit Pistons like that that's ridiculous right. to think and, and also there was just weird stuff where it was like okay this sounds like something that Jerry Colangelo would care to tweet yes. about and not that Barbara would care to tweet about. right there was a lot of stuff where like obviously the person tweeting those stuff knew a lot more of the ins and outs and like like backroom dealing stuff than I did, but there was some stuff in there that where it, it to me the only explanation for some of that stuff is that either it wasn't Barbara on some of those tweets or that Barbara was thinking about something, texted Brian said hey what's the story with this he told her and then she tweeted because there was some stuff that like even as the spouse of a GM you wouldn't know and or care about yeah. Like it has, it, it came from, it had the knowledge of someone who actually is inside the organization, not the spouse of someone. Yeah. And it's also like, look, I, I am, am uh, I guess I understand. I, I, like, I, I'm not someone who looks at this situation and goes, like, how could he be so careless to like share details of the organization with his wife? Like, I understand that every general manager does that. And yeah. most people who work for teams or work for companies or whoever do that. I mean, that's just like yeah. pretty normal stuff. Um, I think the more concerning thing, I think the thing that gets missed, and I haven't seen a lot of defense of Brian Colangelo, but I think the only defense you could have would be like, look, he didn't know. And this is like, 
everyone talks to their wives about stuff like this and it was really on her that she like turned around and tweeted and if it's true that like he really didn't know anything and had no idea and she just did this on her own like that is kind of shitty but the, the reality is that clearly brian colangelo feels all these things that were tweeted it might as well have been tweeted by him because it was clearly his right. beliefs like barbara his wife did not come up with uh I mean, like she may have known from him the details of Nerlens Noel and uh, Embiid with the dancing at the Meek Mill concert and all that, but like that felt very much like this is how Brian Colangelo is talking to her about these situations, and then she's like, "Yeah, fuck that guy. I'm gonna get yeah. on Twitter and tweet about it." Like, it's not like Brian was defending. Like, look, it wasn't that bad that he danced at the Meek Mill. Like, clearly Brian Colangelo went home that night and was like, "What the fuck? Like, how could he do this?" And he's lying about right. his knee, and you know. So there's really no turning back. It's There's no separating Barbara's tweets from what Colangelo believed. I'll go as far as to say this. Even if Barbara's tweets were the exact opposite of what Brian believed, it didn't matter. The trust is broken. I agree, yeah. It's, and it's also, yeah. a, I guess it's just a question of, like, do you see him as completely blameless? And I don't. No. I, I, see him I don't as think more blameless. completely blameless. I, I, I see him as more blameless than, uh, or... Uh, when I thought it was him tweeting, that was one thing. And I do think there's a difference between the two, but I don't think it matters. And I honestly, no, I think I, you're right. I that totally it w- agree. And I, I think you're right that it wouldn't even matter, even if those had entirely been her beliefs. Like the wife of the general manager is shitting on Joel Embiid and Markel Fultz on Twitter. Like there is no coming back from that if you intend to keep Joel Embiid and Markel Fultz and attract free agents. Exactly. Yeah, you're 100% right. Something I thought about, let's move on, but one thing I I just thought about today that I hadn't even really considered is imagine how much we would have been shitting ourselves the week or the eight days or whatever that it took for him to get fired if Embiid hadn't signed an extension last summer and was coming into restricted free agency. It'd be insane, yeah. We would have been... We'd be... Yeah, also, I I think that was the case. It wouldn't have taken eight days. Yeah. I also think if his last name wasn't Colangelo, it wouldn't take eight days either. Yeah, it, it is crazy how Brian Jones he would have been out on day two. Yeah, it is it is kind of crazy how silent. And I think I, I like I said there weren't many people defending him, but I, I will say that the the juxtaposition between like Hinky bringing shame to the the team angle and those same people when the Colangelo thing broke was like they weren't defending Brian Colangelo, but they also weren't calling for his head the way they were calling for Hinky's head when he traded MCW because that yeah, brought exactly. shame to the franchise or whatever. Yep. Um, um, so how do you? What, let me ask. Let me ask you this. So going forward, uh, before we talk about, and I think there's probably some questions later about the, who the next GM people are or could be. So we'll save that for the end. Um, but the current status uh, of which it seems that we will, the Sixers will at the very least go through the draft without a GM in place and likely probably enter free agency um, without a GM in place. Maybe, maybe right around then before then. Um, but Brett Brown is working as the interim de facto president of basketball operations and general manager with the staff that's in place. Um, how different do you think it is? And do you think it is a, negative and if so by by what kind of degree i think okay i'll I'll put it i'll answer a couple questions so i think that it probably makes them more uh conservative in their approach to the draft um you know i think that they'll probably whereas i thought when colangelo was there um and just generally i thought there was a chance that like they come up at 10 
the Spurs are still shopping Kawhi, or there's some talk about that. I could see the Sixers like swinging a big deal in which they moved like Fultz and ten, or Sharich ten and Covington, or something, and tried to get a star player like that. I don't see that anymore. Like I don't think you make that move if if you you have an interim GM, and the interim GM is. Uh, basically a guy who's not going to be in that basketball role. Like if they had promoted Eversley, um, I think there would have been a chance that you'd kind of go, okay, maybe they're just going to make Eversley the GM, in which case you treat whatever this interim period as like he's the GM and he'll he'll make right. moves if he has to as long as the ownership agrees and Brett Brown agrees. With like a trial Brett, period. With the trial period. But with Brett Brown in that role, I don't think you do anything that's franchise-altering. Um, no, I agree. I think you definitely answer the phone if it rings. And you go from there, but I don't think they're making many phone calls. I agree, and I think that's probably for the best. Like, I don't want them to. My ideal off season is you try to sign LeBron, you try to sign Paul George. If there's a Kawhi deal that's out there that's not breaking the bank, I would be interested. But if you strike out on that, just do what you did last year. Just sign some one year guys, try to win fifty plus games this year, and then go into next summer with that same cap space. Um, right. In a year where you have Clay Thompson, you have you know you'll have more free agents. Tech, potentially LeBron, if he signs a one year, goes back to the Cavs on a one year. Like you can play that that game again, that free agency game again. So I'd rather do that than just like oh shit, we didn't get anyone. Let's go out and sign Avery Bradley to a big deal. Like that's which they won't do if Brett Brown's the guy. Though at the same time, going back to the trade thing for a quick minute, um, I believe it was uh, was it Sanjay Gupta? Is that his name? <laughs> Wait, isn't no. Sanjay Gupta the CNN? Uh, he is the yes. Who was the guy that was under Hinky? His name was Gupta, right? Uh, yeah. Why am I blanking on his name? Um, I don't know. This is all coming off as terribly racist on my part. Sachin Gupta, you were close. Sachin Gupta, <laughs> yeah, God, I was fucking it's, it's close. pretty close. That's, I feel like that's close enough that it's not racist. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, but so Hinky had said that he was essentially the architect of the Kings pick swap deal. Yeah, uh, and Hinky before that. In Houston, I think Maury said it, and that's how Hinky got the job in Philly, was he was essentially the, the architect of the Harden deal. So who's to say that Eversley doesn't have something already cooked up that they've been working on, that now that Brett's in there instead of Brian, it's not just going to be the same thing. So if, if there's something like that happened, that there's already kind of a structure in place, they've already talked about this in meetings, and they're ready to go forward with it, I could see it happening. Um, but if they haven't put a package together yet or like talked about it or really put a framework together, they're not going to start from scratch on a big deal. I don't think. And I, and or even I, like a medium sized deal. Well, and I would say it's, 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 I would say pretty certainly that if they were intending to make some big deal in the draft or had some plan for free agency, like that was already in place. Like I think teams put that in place far in advance, but I think right. for me, the fact that they didn't promote Eversley to this interim role, that they made it Brett Brown tells me that they're not looking to promote from within. Maybe I'm wrong. It, they could, like, Ned Cohen could be the GM two months from now or yeah. um, or Eversley. Like, who, who knows? But the I, I just feel like if that was the direction they were leaning towards, they would have just put Eversley or Ned Cohen in that position right now. Um, I mean, and the also, fact, and though, the fact that they did, I was going to say, and the fact that they didn't makes me feel like the they are – I think the biggest thing is that the, it's such an attractive – position right now i mean like woes was reporting that current gms are asking like you know in my head goes to like rich cho or neil o'shea or you know guys sam who presti are, sam presti like guys who are good gms in uh, lackluster posi- like positions or positions that don't have a lot of future um mm-hmm. 
are, are considering, and I just threw those names out there, but would consider the job. And if that's the case, like if you think you can get Sam Presti, like go do that and let Sam Presti make this team in his image. Like don't make a big move before, um, before he gets a chance to do that. And then he comes in and it's like, okay, his, uh, potential to shape the team has been like hindered a lot. Like, I don't want, I don't right. want to do that. I, I, I don't want also that to hurt their chances of bringing in a, a top level GM. It's an, right. it's an interesting opportunity where they can actually attract like a guy that they, you know, a hinky kind of guy where they, somebody that they think can be their GM for the next decade instead of, you know, just a retread, right. Whatever guy. And I think, you know, as much as it's probably like the most attractive GM opening in all of pro sports in like at least 10 years, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and the team's in great position. It doesn't mean the job is going to be easy. Um, so I can't. I don't think you can just go with you know the the first guy you think of. And you know if people are. I'm sure they're like you said. Like like Woj reported, there are people trying to get out of contracts, and if they can, that's going to take some more time as well. But I do think that you know I just don't think there is still a chance that. I mean you know if if Sam Presti calls, I don't think. I don't know Mark Eversley, but I don't think Mark Eversley is going to get the job over Sam Presti, for example. Um, or Rich Cho even, but I think we we constantly hear almost to the point that it can't be said enough. Like Zach Lowe was always saying it, for example, that like you almost cannot overestimate how respected Brett Brown is in this league. And I think if the Sixers were convinced that they would have someone in place by free agency, then they would go the Eversley or the Cohen route for right now. But that says to me like, we want him leading our free agent pitch anyway, so we might as well put Brett up there because people love Brett, people respect Brett, and people like Brett, more importantly. Um, so he's our best bet to actually land these free agents, um, which I think says a lot about Brett and, and has a lot about the character and the trust they have in him. And I, I will steal a line from from Dietrich's pod that they had this weekend where they basically said that Brett Brown's like the Chewbacca of the process <laughs> where everyone around him dies, but he just keeps living on. And it's exactly right. And I think he deserves, and deservedly so, because... Again, like for everything we hear from inside the league is that like people don't have a single bad word outside of, you know, uh, still balling uh, about Brett Brown. Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable that he's made it through this as really the face of it. I mean, I guess Hinky was the face of the tank, but like Brett Brown was the guy who every night, you know, every game had to talk three times, you know, like shoot yeah. around the morning up pregame postgame, like was the face in, in that sense of the the tank and and of everything and um has really weathered it and somehow built up like a really strong reputation around the league in a time where you think that a coach would just kind of get rolled up in that and that people would just see him as a loser or see him as a guy Mm -hmm. who you know had created a bad culture and i think like people really saw you know to their credit people really around the league really saw what he was doing and the culture he was creating and um, he was like the team's press secretary, but he also had to coach everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's hard to be the press secretary of, of a shit show or what was, you know, in there terms are, of There resu- are many results. people you can ask, I'm sure. Yeah, in terms of what was results-wise a shit show and have people like you and think that you're doing a good job. Um, what I'm basically saying is that in many ways, Brett Brown is Sean Spicer. Yeah. Uh, I don't love the that. The comparison's there. It's there. You could. You is could, is, you could, is Brian Colangelo the mooch then? No, he boy. lasted. He lasted about as long as the mooch in in GM terms. 
Two years is a very short time. I think the Mooch still follows me on Twitter, so maybe the Mooch is listening to the pod. And if the Mooch is listening to the pod, I will say this. Hey, Mooch, we're not going to have you on the pod, man. Stop listening. It's fine. Um, So do you want to move on to uh, big boards now, or do you want to say something else first? Well, I I think that's that's all about all I have to say. I I agree with you, though, that I think um, it doesn't really negative. I don't think it's going to negatively affect their uh, pitch in free agency. Like, I don't think anyone was coming to Philly because of Brian. And yeah. I think I think Brett Brown being the the guy in that room and getting Brian Colangelo the hell out of there, obviously after the the ringer thing. But even that aside, I don't think is going to uh, negatively affect. And I also think there's a chance there's a chance that uh, whether they bring in someone before free agency or they're in talks with somebody like Sam Presti or like Olshay or you know someone who's respected like that or even David Griffin. That that might be an appealing thing to someone like LeBron or Paul George, um, yeah. and also the possibility if it's LeBron to be able to like give him a some say in that to to have yeah. that be part of the pitch. Like, look, we're going to be um, bringing in an entirely new front office, basically, or at least a new head of the front office, and then probably also some new people within that. Like, LeBron can have a say in that and can feel involved in that process, which yeah. can only be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, quickly before we move on the big boards, I will say this: if anyone cares in the slightest, uh, tomorrow, Monday, June eleventh. If anyone is not listening to this tomorrow, Monday, June eleventh, uh, the Sixers are in fact having a group workout, um, including a couple players who are on both of our big boards: uh, Miles Bridges and Lonnie Walker the fourth, with a couple of uh, other people in the middle: Drew Eubanks, Shane Milton, or Shake Milton, uh, Jared Nickens, and Nuni Omat. Uh, that is tomorrow. So this is it's kind of starting. I feel like this probably would have been happening already if the uh, burner gate didn't happen. But we're getting into the actual like like workouts and uh, you know group workouts and solo workouts. We're gonna have you know press quotes and availability after each individual workout where you're seeing this kind of stuff. So yeah, it's kind of exciting times. Um, so Max, we each went to number twelve. I went to thirteen because I, I had to one up you a little bit. Um. Let's start. Let's both give our one and two because they're the two same players. But we have the order flipped. Yeah, I think I agree. I think we should go one down because Sixers picking a ten. We both went about twelve or thirteen deep. Probably more interesting because once you know, if we do twelve, working our way to one, it stops being interesting once you get past like eight because you right. assume those guys won't be there. Yeah, right. Exactly. So let's do. I know who your one and two are. You sent me your list. I didn't send you my list because again, I wanted to one up you, uh, and also I was trying to go to the store. But this tour was closed. Uh, I have at number one Luka Doncic, and I have at number two DeAndre Ayton. You have those two guys flipped. Yeah, I, I get. Tell I've me. gotten a lot of shit too, like more I know, shit than I, I thought I, I would. I every like I felt like I was being uh, like weird by having Doncic number one, um, and I do think it could very easily flip both ways. But tell me why you have Ayton at one and Doncic at two. I guess. I look at Aiden, and he's just such a, a monster. I mean, he's seven one with seven five wingspan. He's what, like, not even nineteen yet, and has like a Dwight Howard upper body. Um, is an awesome offensive player. He can shoot from outside. He can score with his back to the basket. He's pretty quick with the ball in his hands. He's a good rebounder. The only the only thing that keeps him from being a you know Towns and Bead level prospect. Um, 
and I, I guess interesting to, to use Towns because Towns is maybe this is the, the biggest thing keeping Towns from being an MB-level prospect is the fact that Aiden was a pretty bad defender, a uh, pretty awful yep. defender in college. Now, the thing is, um, I guess you can look at it two ways. It's like, is it the Carl Towns effect where you keep thinking like, all right, he has the tools, he's so big, he can you know defend, should be able to defend pick and roll because he's pretty quick, he has a long wingspan, Um he is strong enough to to hold his own in the paint. Like he has all the tools. I guess the question is: Is he going to be Carl Towns or is he going to be like Ben Simmons? Where Carl Towns, you just assume like, well, at some point he'll get there. And now I think we're starting to realize maybe he won't. With Ben Simmons, it's like okay, he's clearly a one and done. He's the number one player in the class uh, or or up there since the year started. And you know, you kind of look and you go like all right, do I care that he is, like, lackadaisical on defense in this one year in college? Um, because I th- people said the same thing about Ben Simmons. And obviously, like, once he started giving a shit, was a very good defender at the pro level. So, and I think, for me, Aiden feels more like that. Like, it doesn't feel like he's lacking anything um, uh, that should keep him from being at least, like, an average defender for his position. Mm-hmm. And he's such a talented offensive player and has so many things going for him and has the body and the athleticism. And um, I'm sorry, he's he's turning 20 soon. So he is a little bit older. I said turning 19. Uh, but he's just like, I don't know, you just look at him and you're like, okay, that is like, he basically looks like David Robinson. Um, yeah, and, he does. And it's hard for me to imagine passing up on that. And I really like Donkic, but... Um, it's hard for me to imagine passing up on that for a guy who also has a lot of flaws. Like I think people are are very willing yeah. to overlook the fact that Luka Doncic like is not all that athletic. Like he's shifty with the ball, right. but he is not an athletic player. Um, he doesn't have an obvious position that he's going to defend in the NBA. Um, you know, I think I think I watch him and I don't see that same like high level. I don't. At his best, I think DeAndre Aiden is uh, is a better prospect than Luka Doncic. I just think Luka Doncic has been more consistent. Um, yeah, but I, I think both are in a tier very close to one another, and then it's a drop off after that. Yeah, I have uh, Doncic number one uh, and Aiden number two. Aiden, I do think, is basically a complete lockdown sure thing, and in any other draft, he would obviously be number one. The fact that Doncic has been showing. Uh, what he's able to do and growing in front of everyone's eyes for a very long time. Um, you know, because people, you, you've been able to, and GMs, especially in front offices and, and people, you've been able to watch a good play since he was like 16 years old. Um, it's also true of like a DeAndre Ayton or a Mo Bamba, but the competition level he's been playing against is so astounding. Um, I think it's very possible, if not likely, that in the long run, Aiton is the better player of the two, but I think Doncic can do more for you. Uh, they're both weak defenders, I think. Um, but I think you can have, like, if Aiton just can't play defense at the NBA level as a man at that size, it's a problem. If Doncic can't play defense in the NBA, it doesn't really matter that much, and that's what really kind of pushes him over. He can have that huge going fall, and it won't fucking matter because if he's you know, if he's James Harden or like I compare him to like a uh, like a, a combination of, of Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker, but he just happens to be six foot eight. And if he can't play defense at all, it doesn't it doesn't matter because 
He's only 6'8". You can put him in a 2. Have him guard 2s and 3s or whatever and just try his best. And you have to try to pick up all the slack around him. But if you're, if you're you know, tent pole paint guy, can't play defense. And that's a much bigger problem than if you're 6'8". Two, three guard can't play defense, and that's where the difference is for me. That's why I have Doncic one and two, and at eight and two. But I do think on day one, I think Doncic is the better NBA player. At year two, three, they're probably neck and neck. They could be neck and neck their whole careers, but it does. I do think in the in the very super long run, like ten plus years down the line, it does seem more likely to me that Aiton has the bigger impact on the NBA. But there's a lot of variables in play between now and then. So that's why I have to, I, I have Doncic number one, but it's it's in, incredibly close. Yeah, I guess I guess when I project out, it's like I try to think like five or six years from now, who is more likely to be like all NBA first team? And to me, DeAndre Aiden is that. And I get I get all the arguments you made, and I, it's why I like Doncic a lot. But it's hard for me to imagine him being much more than like the tenth, eleventh, twelfth best player in the league. Um, but I, do you so? Do you think that Doncic? Is let me ask you this: In five years, depend you know, take try to take out any context of where they'll end up and the whole path of that. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's more likely in five years that Doncic is on a better team than Aiton, or that Aiton's on a better team than Doncic? Like, who is going to contribute more to winning? Is that kind of your yeah. question? That's why I think Doncic does it because Aiton could yeah. very easily be on an Anthony Davis Pelicans type team. Without a Demarcus Cousins, totally. So, well, he could be Demarcus Cousins. That's like the the comp right. that I think yeah. makes some sense is that he is a an offensive like phenom, and the the difference is that his body is so much better, and he's longer and just more like just has has a better body than uh, Cousins does. But I guess that's the the difference is like I could I guess I could see DeAndre Aiden being on a bad team and um, just putting up numbers. I guess you're right in that sense. Like, Doncic does have that, like, Manu Ginobili, uh, like, downside, I guess. It's like, at worst, yeah. he seems like he would be a very valuable player, sort of like Dario is for the Sixers. Like, um, isn't going to put up crazy numbers on a bad team, but will just be, like, a solid player on any team. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still I still just feel like Aiden... There's a chance that... Aiden, I, I guess there's, for me, there's that chance that Aiden comes in and it's just like, oh, yeah, he just didn't give a shit because he was playing at Arizona for one year. Uh, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, knew he didn't really have to try that hard. And, Depends oh, yeah, on like, his defense. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. and he's 7-1 with a 7-5 wingspan and had never lifted a weight until college but had, like, a David Robinson's body. And, right. oh, yeah, that guy can, like, block shots and, you know, not get bullied in the paint. Like, I, he doesn't yeah. seem like Okafor to me, like, in that in that sense. Yeah. Like, he, I'll is, say this he has too. such a better body than any of those guys who, who, you know, got to that level and just couldn't play defense. Whichever one goes number one is in better shape because I would much rather be on the Phoenix Suns than the Sacramento Kings, and I think every player would feel that way as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, let's go to number three. Who do you have at three again? I have uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Same. I like him a lot. Um to me, he he kind of fits in that same thing what you're talking about with Donkic. It's like hard to imagine him not being a good, uh, con- a contributor on a good team, yeah. at, at very worst. Like to me, he kind of has like an Abaka role, um, but I think bet I think he could be better than that. Um, I will say this on on the Ringers um, draft uh, uh, mock draft, which I have in front of me because I love their comps. Uh, it says he has shades of. Uh, uh, millionaires Todd's, Taj Gibson and billionaires Emil Jefferson. 
which I just love that. I may also say Miles Turner, which I agree. I, I Miles Turner is also like, on the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He to me, he's kind of like Tristan Thompson. If Tristan Thompson had an offensive game and could block shots better than Tristan Thompson can, like it's that kind of role where he is just like a stout defender and rebounder yep. at the four and and can play some some small ball five, but also stretch the floor and block shots. Like that to me oh, is I mean, super yeah. valuable. I mean, also talking about size, he actually has a longer wingspan and higher standing reach than Aiton as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's over, like he's almost a, or he's over a year younger, a full year younger. So, yeah, I think yeah. he's probably. I mean, I think Aiton and Doncic are both locks to be just really, really good players, if not great players, for a very long time. Um, and Jaron Jackson is kind of like being the. I don't know, kind of the forgotten man here because I feel like everyone's tier one is just has two players in it, and then tier two starts with Jaron Jackson. Yeah, um, I mean, and I think there's a very oh, go ahead. There's yeah, no, there's a high possibility. Like if this draft goes down as like an all timer, when people talk talk back about it, they're always remember Don Kitchen eight, and everyone go, oh yeah, shit, Jaron Jackson was in that draft too. Wow, you know, I guess like like how almost people do with the the uh, LeBron Wade and Bosch draft. Or not even Bosch, Mello. I think right? Bosch, Bosch seems to be that guy, I think, in that Bosch draft. does seem that guy, but, like, because, yeah, because I think Mello has hung on too long. But, like, Bosch, but I was like, oh, shit, Bosch was in that draft, and Bosch was really great for a long time. Wow. He comes that forgotten guy from that from mm-hmm. that crew. So I think that's probably Jaron Jackson's future, but I do think he's, he probably has the, outside of Doncic and Aiton, which is another reason why I think I have him at three, he probably has the highest floor of anybody in the draft. Totally. I, I think probably, yeah. uh, too, if I was doing a Sixers board, he's probably number two for me after Donkic. Like, Aiden yeah. doesn't really register on my, my Sixers-only board. Uh, I yeah. think Jaron Jackson is just such an amazing fit on really, like, any t- – the thing is he's he's what the NBA is looking for. He's basically a 3 and D center or power forward. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, um, he is your absolute ideal – like, if you had to go into a lab – I mean, it would probably be DeAndre Ayton maybe, but if you had to go into a lab and create your ideal – Embiid insurance is probably Jaron Jackson. Well, I think he's better just because he can play alongside him in the meantime, right? Like right, that's, exactly. That's valuable. Um, do you want to move on to four? Yeah. We probably, I, I'm imagining, I haven't seen yours, so I'm thinking we're probably going to diverge here. Who do you have it for? I have Mo Bamba. I also have Mo Bamba. All and right. I'm, I don't feel great about it. All right. I'm, I Don't tell me where yet, but I'm, I'm intrigued to see where Marvin Bagley is for you because I, I'm – quite low on Marvin Bagley and uh, a lot of people were giving me shit for that. So I think four seems to be like the absolute lowest anyone will put him and we both have him below that. So, um, okay. Tell me why you like Mo Bamba. Uh, I fucking, he's a, f- uh, I hate using this word cause it's, I don't like when people talk about, uh, professional athletes and human beings. Like he's a physical specimen. Is that what he's you're about to say? a fucking freak, man. His wingspan is almost eight feet. Uh, he can shoot the ball, which is fucking bonkers. Like he, he can even like form a jump shot with his arms, was my mind. Let alone like a consistent, decent one. Uh, which I do think he projects to, especially with the way everyone trains everybody to shoot nowadays. Like you can just put, you just fucking put him with Drew Hanlon, and he's fucking set. Um, well, he is working with Drew Hanlon. He is working with Drew Hanlon. I know. I saw that too. He's going to be a fucking terrifying person in the that, NBA. That video, I think, single-handedly, the one of him doing the Embiid drills, single-handedly yeah. was like, all right, I'm moving him up to four. He was like five for me or six for me. I was like, all right, he's four now. Yeah. I have him at four because I, I have him at four for like a selfish reason. So I think he probably has a lower floor than a couple of people around him on my list. 
But I'm just so excited to see him play in the NBA. Yeah. He's so long. He's so big. He's smart with his movements. Um, He's, he's like, not, like, built like a – like, he's, like, 7'1", 7'2". He's, like, 225. He's like, he's, he could probably put on some pounds. Um, But he's actually, like, he, he picks his spots very well. Um, He's not going to often get caught up in the air or, like, trying to cheat for blocks and then get passed around to a wide-open guy behind him. Um, which like usually when someone has like those, these physical attributes, they're like, Oh, that's all they are. They're just that, but that's not the case with him. Um, I do think he probably, like I said, I think he has the lowest, lower floor than people around him. Um, just because also when you're that big, your body is just probably going to fail you at some point. Um, and I don't know what he can really do outside of, if he gets that shot going, he gets the shot going, but like, he's not really, not a ton of work on the, uh, you know, in the post, not much, not much of that. Um, a lot of, you know, he could finish, he can get the rebounds obviously, but if you get him the ball at like 15 feet, I'm not entirely sure what he's going to do with it. Um, but he's just, he's so intriguing and I just had to put him that high because he just honestly fascinates me and he's insanely long. I just can't stress that enough. It's fucking insane. It's ridiculous. His standing reach is according to the ringer at least, his standing reach is nine feet, seven and a half inches. So, essentially, if you're going up for a layup, he can block you without leaving the ground. And that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, man. I I, I really love his game. And I, I think, to me, he kind of reminds me of, like, late career Kevin Garnett. Like, when Kevin yeah. Garnett was, like, just an awesome defender, could hit, like, mid-range jumper, uh, get a lot of offensive rebounds, and, like, create second chances... I just think he's gonna be really good. I would love, I would love if he somehow falls. I would love the Sixers to draft him, even though yeah. it's a weird fit with Embiid. Like I think he could play some four, um, just because of his ability to stretch the floor and obviously like, back up Embiid and give you those minutes. But I, I think he's gonna be awesome. I really like him a lot. Now I was, yeah. I'm, I'm frequently burned by um, the super long. Guy like Sarah Sene, uh, the guy the the, <laughs> the, the uh, Sonics drafted in like 2006. Yeah. I thought he was gonna be so fucking good. Yeah. Um, and then and and then counter to that, when Rudy Gobert came out, I was like, I'm not gonna get fooled again. Yeah. So I had Rudy Gobert super low. I was like, that guy can't play basketball. He's just a guy with arms, and now he's awesome. So yeah. Now I'll jump back on Bamba and probably be wrong, but I I really yeah, like him I a just- lot. I can't, I can't not be on the Bamba train. I'm just so excited to see him, even if he fails. Like it's just going to be so incredible to watch because people like that seem to come on more often. Like Rudy Gobert would have been a, a like a, a wide eyed wonder that people would have like paid all their life savings to see in the '60s and '70s. Now there's like four people built like <laughs> him in the NBA, but I don't know if in the next. 10, 15 years, we're going to see another guy who's standing reach is basically touching the rim. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and, and who can actually like also play basketball. Like he's not, you know, he's not seen Bular who's seven, four, like 850 pounds and who really can't move well. Like he's yeah. actually good. So I, I, the people like that don't come along very often. So I'm very excited to see what he can do. Okay. Who is your number five? Number five, who I am also super not, confident about being at number five uh i have uh i have michael porter at i was gonna say auto porter nice auto porter i also uh, have, have michael, michael porter, porter at five 
Um, have I, we only disagreed on one and two at this point? Yeah, we we do get different because I I did I didn't like glance I didn't like look at your list like oh Max has this but I do know we get different uh, as it goes further down. But like I said, like we have the same of our of the thirteen players I have in twelve, you have probably ten of them in the same players just in different orders. Um, Porter worries me a little bit just because we saw so much of everyone else this year and because of the injury we couldn't see as much of him. Um, I do think he's incredibly exciting as a player. He's I think a much better shooter than people remember or realize because he's not built that way. Like he's built like Blake Griffin, but he like, I think he's a better shooter than Blake Griffin is even now. after Blake Griffin added that three ball to it. Um, he's a decent ball handler. He had that. I mean, it's like, it's not like he rolled an ankle. Like he hurt his spine. That's what really worries me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's not crazy efficient. It yeah, it's, it's true. Not crazy efficient, not a great passer. Um, I do really, really, really love... This might have like subconsciously bumped him up that the ringer, again, with their comps, called him a, an athletic Keith Van Horn. Uh, and they called him also... They compared him to Harrison Barnes. I think he's doing him a little bit dirty. Uh, another guy who's super crazy long. He's like 6'11", like a 7'1 reach, or 7'1 wingspan. Um, I just think he's, again... A lot of question marks with him. I think he has a lower floor than other people around him in this draft. But he's got... There are people who are like... The only thing they have on him is like they match him with athleticism and they'll go higher in a, in a normal draft. Like someone who just has his athleticism could go like five or six in any other draft. But he also has more than that. And that's why this draft is so fun. And so like I'm very excited to watch it and see how the whole league shakes out. Because if again, if... If he if he played the whole season, who knew where he'd end up? But if if someone with his skill and shooting and athleticism had come out, you know, in like the MCW draft, he's the top two three player. Yeah, yeah, I I really like him a lot. Um, I think for the Sixers, he'd be a great fit, and I also think the Sixers, uh, if he somehow fell. I think the Sixers are a team that can afford to take a guy like a high upside uh, guy with injury risk and just like see how it goes. Um, I agree though. He has probably the lowest floor of any of these guys we've talked about so far. Uh, probably even even lower than probably our next three or four guys. Um, you know, I think. Yeah, I think I, I think for me, it's like the, what the Sixers need is a like go to scoring. Um, assuming Fultz doesn't become that, uh, I don't really think they need wings so much as they just need guys who can, like, just have that that go to ability, like the way Jason Tatum did for the Celtics in the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I think for for the Sixers, like, you have Robert Covington on the wing, you have Dario, you have um, if JJ Redick comes back, JJ Redick. I think obviously LeBron, if he comes, would would uh, or Paul George would throw a wrench in this. But to me, I think Michael Porter Jr. fits in perfectly with what they need. Um, if you're going to go with that position, you don't feel like that. I disagree. I mean, obviously, if he fell to them at ten, I'd be psyched. But I think a lot of people, you, you, you know, a lot of people are calling out the go-to scoring thing, which and like shooting is what the Sixers need. Which obviously they need those things. But I think more than anything else, they need creating because Dario and Rocco, and J.J. last year, and Bellinelli. Those are guys who essentially had to be set up with the ball, right? So, I mean, I think, I, I if I remember correctly, 
every single three that Dario hit last year was assisted. Yeah. Right? Covington's were probably close to the same. JJ, obviously, ran around screens a lot, but they, he was set up. And say JJ comes back, and you have Dario, and you have Covington, and there's not many people outside of that who can create you know, if if you if if someone's trapped, if if Ben's trapped or and or Joel's trapped, and they pass out to you, that you can't either spot up shoot or just pass the ball. You need people who can create things, and I don't know if Porter can do that yet. I would be psyched if he fell to them at ten, but I don't think go to scoring is their most uh, like a gaping need right now. Yeah. I think creation and uh, ball handling is important, which I don't think he really can do right now very much. Um, but I think creating for yourself and others, but mostly for yourself, uh, is probably their most important need right now. Yeah, I, I think to me, I, I think of him differently. I think that's maybe why I um, have him at five. I think he's more, and he's not going to be this good, but I think more in the like um, T-Mac kind of mold is how I Ooh. see his game. I think he can put the ball on the floor. I think he can like finish inside over like around traffic i think he can pull up like i see him um like i think harrison barnes to me is not a good comp because i think harrison barnes in what you're saying like needs other people to set him up um i see him more as a a lead guy you can like rip kind of like jason tatum you can just like throw him the ball in the corner and he can make a move and pull up or grab a rebound and go all the way and score like i i see him less as a guy who needs to be set up um even though i know that's I think people are forgetting how good he was in high school, and I know it's high school, but I think people are looking at who he was when he came back um, too much and not considering, like, what a, a freak offensive player he was in, in high school. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go but to— it's a risk. It sure. is a risk. Let's, let's go to six. I think this is where we start to just differ a okay. little bit. Who do you have at six? Um, I have Marvin Bagley. I do not. Okay, good. You're even lower than Mar- Marvin Bagley than I am. I felt like I, I couldn't ba- put him any lower than six. Uh, I have without- Bagley at seven. Okay. So let's talk about Bagley. I'll do. You can talk about a six. I'll talk about a seven, and then we'll move on from there. But yeah, got, tell me why you're low on Bagley. All right, this is a hot take. What differentiates? Would you just look at the way they play, their their skill set? Can I, can I guess? Yeah. Can I guess what you're gonna say? Yeah. Because can I tell you the note I have written out for Morgan Bagley? What? Super rich man's Rashawn Holmes. Oh, close. Christian Wood no. for me. Oh, fuck you, man. That's insulting. <laughs> it's true, though. Tell me, tell me when nah, you look at him. come on. Christian Come on. I mean, Rashawn Holmes can't put the ball. Like, can't dribble the ball. Uh, he looks Christian like not Stanley the from the office. Was that... Christian Wood's not even in the NBA. Yeah, he's man. crushing it in the D League, which is where Marvin oh, Bagley's going to be in five years. No, I just... Shit. I, I just don't like Whoa. him. I, I don't think he's going to be bad. I just think he's he's just... I mean, you called not, him Christian Wood, so obviously you don't like him very much. Like, like so the ringer gives shades of Amari Stoudemire, Slim, Zach Randolph, and Michael Beasley. I just see Michael Beasley. I, I see Michael Beasley. Yeah. I see Christian Wood. I see... Um, who's other guys like that? Just like... I said um, Rich Man's Rashawn Holmes. Rashawn Holmes. I mean, I, I just – he's more of an offense. He has more to his game than that. But I just I just think he's like – he's a points and rebounds power forward, and I just don't value that at all. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I he's His jumpers, like – I mean, he hit almost 40% from three this year, but it was not on that many attempts. 
Um, his jumper doesn't look all that great. I don't think he's a, a great defender. Um, he's a bad free throw shooter. He's not a good passer. I like Wendell Carter a little bit more than him, and I, I haven't put Wendell Carter ahead of him, um, even though I'm, I'm like regretting now that I'm talking about Marvin Bagley not doing mm-hmm. that. And probably by the time the draft comes around, I will make that switch. But um, other people are just so high on Marvin Bagley that I feel like I must be missing something. But to me, I don't see Amari Stoudemire at all. He just is... He just doesn't, like, when I watch him, I just feel like he uh, he's just more athletic and bigger than a lot of guys, and that's how mm-hmm. he scores. And when I see him, like, put his back to the basket and try to make a move, he's, like, fumbling the ball. But then it works because he just turns around with a hook shot and he's he just jumps over everyone. It doesn't yeah. matter. Or he grabs his own re- offensive rebound after missing and puts it back. And it's like, this isn't going to work in the NBA. Like, everyone's, you know... 6'11 and athletic and he doesn't yep. even have a super long wingspan like i just i just don't i don't get it this is a good transition because at number six i have wendell carter jr all right nice uh, i think realistically and ideally if at 10 you're looking at someone you're like okay we're not going to get a starter at 10 probably our starting lineup's pretty set if you bring lebron in especially uh, we want to get like a really solid role player, a key backup. He's your, I think he's your ideal in beat insurance type player. Um, just as a, just like a great solid five backup, which he's the type of guy that we talked about all last season that who the Sixers need to back up in uh, beat. Actually, I think he's better than a lot of that stuff. And I honestly think too, I know we're all excited about him, but I think he is what everyone thinks Jonah Bolden is but better. I think people are getting really excited about Jonah Bolden, and I'm excited about Jonah Bolden, but I think people's expectations might be a bit high, and what they're really picturing in their head is Wendell Carter Jr. Mm. With a a thicker body, which is what we, again, what we've been begging for all season. Thick body. He has good footwork. He's a smart passer. He can pass the ball a bit. Um, His jump shot's a little weird, but so is Al Horford's, and it fucking works. So again, and, and and after the whole Fultz thing, which I'm sure we'll get into when the question stuff comes up, if the jump shot works, don't fucking fuck with it. Just let it happen. Don't mess with any shots anymore. Just let him shoot it that way if it works. It doesn't matter how it looks. Um, so that's why I feel about Carter Jr. And I, I think that's why I have it in front of Bagley. Um, I did go back and forth on those guys a bit. Um, but Bagley is, to me, also what we kind of talked about before we started recording where... There's a bunch of guys, and this is not necessarily a negative thing, uh, a bunch of guys in my top 12 who just strike me as boring. And boring to me is not like, you know, it's not necessarily a negative. It's just like, at best, they project to be a solid pro, which is great. If you can get come out of every draft with a solid pro, you're set. But I don't see much more out of him than that. I don't think he's a D-League player like you, but I don't think he's much more than a solid pro. And I think... Uh, we're not doing this really Sixers Sixers centric and Sixers in mind, but it informed my rankings a tiny bit, and I think that's probably why Carter jumped in front of Bagley as well. I think too. I'm I'm realizing I really in my heart of hearts feel like Wendell Carter is better than Marvin Bagley, and you've given me the strength to to finally admit that and to and yep. to alter my big board. So I'm I'm going to move Wendell Carter up to six and Bagley down to seven. I don't I don't well, hate Bagley. What was that? Now you're making me look bad. 
Because now it looks that? like a copy. Because like now you're copying me. I'm copying you. Making the pod look bad. Come on. Well, here's what I'll say. I think I don't get a little ha- different I don't, coming up though. I don't hate Marvin Bagley. Um, obviously, I have him seven. I just think he's vastly overrated, and I think he put up big numbers. But I like Wendell Carter better. I like a lot of players in this trap better than him. And I, th- I think there's like a chance that he, um, I don't know, fills out his body a little bit and, and becomes um, more of a. Like, I think his future is is he's better served filling out his power forward skills than being like a slow. Uh, wing a slow big wing who can't shoot which is what he is to me like that's why that's the christian wood comparison to me is that christian wood is also a power forward with small forward skills except he has a power forwards like athletic skill set um and and marvin begley is like a good a good leaper he's like has a good second jump he gets up for rebounds but he is not getting by anyone in the nba who plays small forward I will say this too, and I think this is every year as well, but it's especially true this year. A lot of these players, their development and their pro career is really going to depend on who drafts them. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, there are so many question marks, with a lot of these guys, and they have a lot of things that are great for them, which is obviously why they're top 10 NBA picks in a, in a draft, in a year where the draft is deep. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that come into this draft on these bad teams that have bad player development, bad coaching, uh, bad roster structuring um, that just, they just don't pan out because they don't have the guidance or the coaching or the development that they're going to need to really do well in the long run and be their best version of themselves. So that's where I feel about a lot of these guys too. But uh, so, all right. So we had with, we just went through six and seven, right? Because you had Carter seven. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's move on to eight. Who do you have at eight? All right. I have Lonnie Walker. You are the the current like the guy in the front of the parade who's marching with that big baton in like the marching band. Is that the who's that? What's that his name? Any marching band people out there? The that's baton you for the lot person. That's you for the Lonnie Hive right now. Yeah. 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 Well, here's what I'll say. There's a bit of like virtue signaling going on for me where it's like I really believe in Lonnie Walker. And maybe yeah. if other people believed in Lonnie Walker, I would be okay with like having him below Mikhail Bridges or something. But I want people to know that like, no, I really like Lonnie Walker. Sure. Um so maybe so, there's a little bit of that going on too, where it's like just throwing him out there above yeah. those two guys just to like My number eight is not Lonnie Walker. Okay. So sell me on Lonnie Walker. Um, who will be in the workout tomorrow with the Sixers. Okay, yeah. So I look at Lonnie Walker, and he, the person who comes to mind, I think the comps I've seen I, I don't love. Uh, the comp that I think makes sense to me is Victor Oladipo. Like, I think sure. he can be mm-hmm. he can be a ball-handling okay. shooting guard, like a combo guard. Um, You're talking about this year Oladipo. Like this year, yeah, like, like good Victor Oladipo. Um, yep. He's like a f- crazy athlete. He's like 6'5", about 200, uh, super long wingspan, like a 6'10 plus wingspan, um, jumps out of the gym, put back dunks, um, has a great handle, uh, shows some flashes of being a pretty good passer. The best Um, hair in the draft. Best hair in the draft by far. And I, I think, too, like you look at guys who got better as the year went on and he came into the season with like, I think a knee injury or something. So an issue with his knee that uh, kind of held him back. And also it was, was a torn off- meniscus. Yeah. Which I also um, have not great. And he, uh, 
was inserted into the starting lineup in the second half of the season, and his stats after that point and just his production after that point really jumped. Um, He shot like 35% on the year from three, but I think he's a better three-point shooter than that. Like He's a good free-throw shooter, shot 74%. Um, His jumper just looks nice. He gets good elevation. He has good form. It's pretty quick. He can pull up off the dribble. He can catch and shoot. Um, there were games where he really was, uh, like, you know, I guess that comes across maybe as streaky, but there were games where he really showed an ability to, like, just punish teams from outside. Yeah. And I just I just think he, he fits really well with what the Sixers need. Um, and I could see him being uh, – I think he has the ability, too, to be a really good defender and showed some of that in college, too, with just, like, on-ball, you know, ability to steal the ball and, and take it length of the court um you know he has the athleticism to like jump passing lanes and and i think he has the size and the and the length to be a, a really good defender at the two so i just really like him a lot and i think for what the sixers need i also think he's a really nice fit and he'll be there at 10 almost certainly i think he does have that that skill of of uh creating which i was talking about earlier but yeah um i have uh Mikal bridges here and I think the Villanova connection obviously has people all excited. Um, I would be surprised if Mikhail Bridges was there at 10 for the Sixers. Um, I'd be incredibly excited if he was because I feel like we were spoiled a little bit with getting, like, for example, look, this team was really good this year, the Sixers team. And two of their most important players were undrafted. Right, there's Robert Covington and there's T.J. McConnell. Mm-hmm. Most teams have no one impacting their roster in any way that are undrafted. None. Uh, so it kind of, I think it has messed with people's brains a little bit as to what you get at value-wise at what pick. Um, I think McCall Bridges is essentially probably Robert Covington plus. And yeah. at 10, that might not seem like a great bargain to people, but it really is. That's he's sort, like, of like, he, he's sort of like good Danny Green, right? Like Danny Green. Yo, I fucking year love he, Danny Green. Yeah, like, like That one year Danny, Danny Green was Green. fucking great. God, Danny yeah. Green ruled that one year. Um, Tony Snell is another option, but Tony Snell fucking stinks. Uh, <clears throat> but it's that kind of archetype, right? He's a great shooter already. And I would say, yeah, I would go as far as say, to say great. Got crazy wingspan for his height. Um, he's right around the size of Covington, actually. His build's similar. Um, one of the big pluses, and I think this is going to play into um, Villanova fans' hearts and minds here, too, is that there are a lot of teams in the NCAA where they play hero ball or, like, very inconsistent, like, kind of just, like, moving around stuff. And I do think the Villanova basketball, which is very similar in the NBA to kind of Spurs-type basketball, moving the ball around, no real one hero to the team. Everyone steps up. Everyone does their best. Everyone plays together as a team. Is essentially what the Sixers are trying to do at a pro level. So he's already played it in the system. He's like a system quarterback in that way. He's he's Carson Wentz. Uh, He still has the same kind of similar flaws as Covington. I don't think he's an incredible ball handler, obviously. Uh, he needs to put on some some weight and some strength as well. Um, 
But I think I think he's honestly the ideal fit for the Sixers at ten. I don't think he's going to be there at ten, which is why I have him at eight. Um, but I, if you walk out on draft night with him at ten, and that's it, and like all your other picks are gone for some reason or whatever, and you only have him, you're in fucking incredible shape. And that's why I like he's just like, and he's ready from day one. A lot of these other guys, Doncic and Aiton are. Jackson probably is, um, but outside of that, I think Bridges contributes day one more than anyone else in this draft, um, and I'm very, very high on him, and I don't think he's going to be there at 10, but if he is, I'll be fucking stoked. Yeah, I really like Mikael Bridges. Um, I have him right behind where you have him, so I have Walker at 8 and Mikael Bridges at 9, and I just he's a, such a perfect fit. It's almost like too perfect a fit uh, that I think he will, you're right, not be there at 10. It's going to be one of those situations where he goes at 9, like C.J. McCollum in 2013, and you're just kill, like it just kills you that he, uh, that he, he missed mean, out on him. Let, let's, let's play a little bit of, let's do some, uh, some fanfic here for a second. Yeah. So say, Le, say the Cavs know LeBron is leaving, right? He's there at 8. Do they take him at 8, or do you think they go for like a Colin Sexton or like a Trey Young instead. Because I think if he doesn't go at eight, I think he falls to the Sixers. I don't think he'll end up with the Knicks. I think the Knicks are going for a flashy gunner type because the Knicks need to be the Knicks at all times. They can't just pick like a solid contributor. They have to be like flashy and fun. I, I honestly, I think he could go to the Knicks, but if he doesn't go to the Knicks, I kind of agree with you that um, between, if you assume that the top five is going to be Aiden, Doncic, Jackson, Bagley, Bamba, Right, like You're most Porter likely. in there as well, yeah, uh, yeah, and like Porter. Uh, but let's say let's say the f- top five is those five guys. Like then you have Trey Young, Porter, Wendell Carter. Um, if I'm the Cavs, I I think probably one of those eight guys. Like that that's a solid top eight. I feel like the drop there is a drop off after eight. Um, just I think in in most people's opinion. So I think one of Aiden Doncic, Jaron Jackson, Bagley, Bamba. Trey Young, Porter, Carter will be the pick for them. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe Carter would be the guy that if they think LeBron's leaving, they go like, "Okay, this isn't this isn't high upside enough." We have Tristan Thompson's contract on the books and all that, but uh, at the same time, Wendell Carter's nineteen and um, you know is a pretty decent piece for them to start out with in their rebuild. So. I don't know. If, I, I guess I could see them not going with Mikael Bridges just because he's almost 22, which is part of why I have uh, Lonnie Walker, who's 19, uh, ahead of him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I could see the Knicks also going with Mikael Bridges, though. But I think you're right. Like, if he gets past um, maybe the Bulls and and the Cavs, um, or he gets past the Bulls and there is a player at eight like Trey Young, like Mo mm-hmm. Bamba, like Porter. I think that's probably where the Cavs go if they think LeBron's leaving because they just want a high upside guy. Quickly, while we're discussing this, which team in the lottery do you think is the number one candidate to make a reach like everyone laughs at them pick? I think the Cavs. I, I think I it's probably, the Bulls. I, yeah, I, I think the Bulls. I don't think the Bulls though, have any idea what they're doing. The thing about the Bulls, though, it's like, how much can they really reach? It's like they'll either take Wendell Carter or they'll take one of the top guys. Like, I don't know who else. Maybe Miles Bridges would be that for them. Or, like, I don't think they would take Colin Sexton because um, they have Chris Dunn and they have uh, um, the guard who they traded, uh, slam dunk contest champion, I'm blanking on his name, uh, from the Timberwolves. 
I know who it is. I'm just not going to say because I want to. I want to hear you suffer. No, I'm. I'm going to move past it. Yep. Uh, so uh, now I'm only thinking about that. Uh, yeah, I guess I think the Cavs are probably that team. Um, I, I kind of have to throw in the the Magic because the Magic are always that team, and I think yeah, a lot of people are mocking Trey Young to them, which I think to me kind of is that same thing of of reaching where they. At six, they're going to get their their choice of a lot of really good players, and if they go with Trey Young, I'd be a little disappointed with that as a, as one of their fans. But yeah, um, I could see the Bulls you, being like, you know what, Zaire Smith. It's like, right, yeah, cool. maybe. I do. I do think like the Sixers are in such a great position because I I do see this as like there are eleven guys I really like, and then a bit of a drop off for me. Um, like the ten that I think everyone has plus Lonnie Walker for me. Um. And I like Sexton's all right. Uh, I think there's a real drop off after that, though, where you get into like uh, Gilgis Alexander and Zaire Smith and <coughs> Williams and um, all that. So I, I guess I feel like the Sixers are in a really nice position because even if the draft just goes like chalk through ten, uh, yeah. I think they they get their pick of a really nice player, and there's a chance that someone like the Bulls or the Cavs or the uh, the Knicks even does take someone like Colin Sexton or uh, Kevin Knox or Gilgis Alexander or Zaire Smith earlier than they should. And now you have a choice maybe of Porter or maybe uh, somehow Bamba's dropped or Wendell Carter is there at 10. And that's a pretty good position to be, or Mikhail Bridges. And that's a pretty good position to be in. All right. So let's take on the next pick. We are now at, I'm crossing off the numbers as we go up. So I can't really tell where we are. Uh, We're at at nine. We're at nine? I thought we just did Walker and Bridges, eight, eight, nine. No, I had McKenna. Oh, you eight. Oh, you don't have Walker. Who's your nine? No, yeah, yeah, because you yeah, yeah. Uh my nine is Miles or er, Miles Bridges. Okay. That's my ten. Yeah, okay. That's what happened there. Yeah. I'm confused myself because we started talking about Lonnie Walker a bunch, but I haven't gotten to Lonnie Walker yet. Um Miles Bridges for me is again one of those guys who's just like Real boring. <laughs> uh, Man, I don't. I don't agree. I, I'm. I'm very much. I like. Really struggled with whether I wanted Miles Bridges ahead of Mikael Bridges. Really? Yeah. I, I think I'm higher don't... on. I. Go ahead. No, I know a lot of people are higher on Miles Bridges. I think most people are higher on Miles Bridges. Um, but I just don't. I think he's just missing too many things. Um, he's. And I know I just said that this is what happens at like this t- part of the draft and is what you dream for anyway. But I think he just like his absolute ceiling is like a pretty solid role player, which again is probably what you're getting at this point in the draft. But every other person around here, I think, has that thing where you're like, yeah, they'll probably be a pretty good role player. But like if they, if they can turn this thing on and they can stick with this or do this, then they can jump above that. And I don't know if he has that one skill where if he really like, kind of hones that and makes it like his go to or calling card that he can be above a role player. You know, I think he is like either like a, a role playing guy or like a six man type potential, which again is great. But I just don't know what the thing that will set him apart from this class in the next couple of years is going to be. And like I'm, I'm like wording this like he's like thirtieth on my list, and he's obviously not. But I just don't think he's a very exciting player. Um, and I have him about people who are actually who I do think are exciting. Um, but yeah, I just don't have a ton, I don't have a ton to say about him. I think he's he's reliable and he's solid, and you get what you get basically. I don't want I don't think I want him on the Sixers. Um, 
I think there's already people like him on the team. Uh, and I don't know if he's necessarily good enough, uh, has a, a, enough of a separation above people on the team to really make it worth the pick at that point. I'd rather, if it came down to it, I'd rather maybe take a reach on somebody a little bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at with with Miles. Do you, where do you have Miles at? Let's jump ahead a little bit. So I have him at 10, um, so I don't have him super high, but I think it's because I, I really like Walker, and it was tough for me with Mikhail and Miles. I ended up putting Mikhail a, a notch above Miles Bridges. I, I, I guess yep. I don't see him that way. I think at first I was like, oh, he's like Tobias Harris, or he's like a more athletic Dario, you know, in that in that role where he's like a com- combo, yeah. combo forward. I, the more I watch him, though, the more I think like Jason Tatum is kind of what I'm seeing. And really? I, and I think part okay. of me putting him at 10, I think, and uh, considering putting him at 8 or 9, is that I feel like I got burned last year going like, you know, looking at, at Jason Tatum and, and thinking like, okay, this guy doesn't bring anything to the t- Like, this is a boring. Sure. Uh, you know, just does a little bit of everything and, um, you know, whatever. And I watch Miles Bridges and I see that same like, he can he can create like you talk about like shot creators. I think he can really do that in a way that Tobias Harris uh, can to an extent. But I, I think Miles Bridges yeah. like is a, an awesome ball handler. Um, he's a really good shooter. Uh, shot eighty five percent from the line, thirty six percent from three. I think like has the potential to be that those two things together. I think give give me a sense that he could be a really nice three point shooter. Um, he's yeah. a good passer. He's like super quick off like can just take like one jab. The Jason Tatum thing I think for me is you can give him the ball in the corner, he takes like one jab step and then gets by someone and dunks, like dunks over somebody. I just think he has more scoring potential than I realized, and I think that's what sure. I kept coming back to him and going like, man, I really every time I'd watch him, I was like, I really like this guy. Um, I think you're influenced by your like whatever the opposite of buyer's remorse is for Jason Tatum, you're influenced by that. Yeah. But also at the same time, I think I am, as you're saying that, and I'm kind of thinking about what you're saying too, I think I'm influenced in a way, because uh, like, again, like I said, like this is not a Sixers-centric big board, but it definitely plays into my thoughts on it. Um, I think I'm kind of influenced by uh, being used to having to really, really get excited about like the top three, four players uh, and really look for that like little, the tiny little thing that separates these guys from everyone else, where I think maybe, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe I am kind of underrating him because he's not crazy flashy in the same way I also underrated Jason Tatum. And I also called Jason Tatum boring. So maybe you're right. I'm gonna I'm not going to switch him in my lineup, but maybe you're right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he is kind of flashy. He is like, I don't know, I feel like I watch him and it's the opposite of when I watch Bagley. Like Bagley scores a lot, but I don't really like nothing he's doing is impressing me that much. When I watch Miles Bridges, it's like, I guess it's because he's not as freakishly athletic that he can't just mm-hmm. lean on those things and, and big. But, I mean, he is, like, really talented with the ball in his hands. He gets by guys and has, like, nice dump, like, no-look dump-off passes. I think he's, like, I don't know, super skilled. I'm kind of surprised that more people aren't high on him or that there's been so much. Um, I think Sixers fans really don't want him, and I, I like him a lot. Um but at the same time, I think there are so many guys, so many guys who I like that it's hard. I mean, it's a good position to be in, I guess. Like I feel like in the past or in a normal draft with the Sixers picking a ten here, we'd be like praying that Miles Bridges falls so we don't have to take yeah. like Troy Brown, um, right, or or Musa or whatever. Like I, th- I think this draft has a lot of talent in that like seven to thirteen range. I like. Yeah. 
Um, all right, let's go on to number ten now. You're number ten, um, which yeah. I will just take. I will take on very shortly because we already talked about the guy. I have at ten. I have Lonnie Walker at ten. Okay. Um, you are you you are basically his campaign manager, so we can don't have to spend too much time on him. Um, everything you said is correct about him. I do think he's a very exciting player, but the reason I have him at ten and not like eight uh, is because, and I know this is wrong. I am always very wary of climbers, people who. You know, are mocked at like eighteen and then start like slowly, mm. slowly climbing up on these workouts and like these leaks are happening. I'm wary of that, even though the last two people that you can describe as climbers were Donovan Mitchell and Kristaps Porzingis. Dude, really. dude, I that Donovan Mitchell to me, that's what I see. I don't see that like he's, I know. he's not the same player, but it's the same thing where he's a freshman, like a a, a young player who was kind of overlooked, went to. Uh, wasn't at Kentucky or Duke or whatever. Yeah, not a crazy, crazy uh, uh, high prestige school. Yeah, and it's just gotten better and better and is like such an incredible at, like has all the tools that it's almost like, how is this guy, how did this guy get overlooked to this point? And that's what I see in Lonnie Walker. Yeah. Right, well, that's all I have to say about him. You already talked yeah. about it, but I, I'm just a little wary is all. I'm, Who do you have at 10? I'm all aboard the Lonnie Walker. So that was my Miles, Miles Bridges was my 10. So now I think, okay. now we're both at 11. We are. You go 11 first because you're not going to like my pick. I have Trey Young at 11. Um, okay. He doesn't make my list. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think I'm part of me is like I'm lying to myself a little bit if I say that if the Sixers drafted Trey Young at 10, I wouldn't be kind of excited. Like have, putting him at 11 and, and for a little while wondering if he was going to be off my top 12 also. It's like at the same time, I just watch him and it's like, there's a chance he's absolutely nothing. There's a chance that he's basically uh, Isaiah Cannon or like Jimmer Fredette. But there's also a chance. I don't think he's quite Jimmer, but he's he's not quite Steph either. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think like best case, he, Steph Steph Curry's out of the question. I think like best case, he's like um, Bibby was one I saw that I liked. Um, I think he can be like he's a really nice passer, which I like. Like he's an awesome playmaker, and I think that really, even if he's not able to score the way he was in college, which he's definitely not going to be able to. But even if he's just right. like a stretch the floor guy and can like shoot from mid range and pull up a little bit, uh, I think that combined with being such an uh, an awesome passer, it's like a better version of what like Kendall Marshall was that one year that Kendall Marshall was good. That's kind of what I see. That's yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I think, like, he does have a pretty high upside just because he is able to do something that basically only Steph Curry is able to do, uh, or that we've really only seen Steph be able to do, which is just, like, take dumb shots and have them go in consistently. Yeah. And I don't know. There's part of me that wants to buy into that, especially because he's such a good passer. Uh, and, you know, it's not he's not just a volume shooter. Like he can do other things, I just think his his limitations size wise, he's six two and has a six three wingspan. Um, he's unathletic as hell. He basically is Steph. He's Ste- he's like all the things you would say about Steph Curry coming into the draft. You would say about Trey Young. I just don't think. I think for every Steph, there are fifty guys who are nowhere close to that and flame yeah. out because they don't have the tools to you know they don't have what you need to play in the NBA. Trey Young will probably, if he doesn't pan out in the NBA, be awesome in like China or yeah. in the Spanish league or something. But um, I think, to me, in the way that I guess like Jimmer has, but I think to me, um, 
he's exciting enough that if the Sixers took him at ten, I'd still be I'd still be happy about that. Yeah, I have at number ten Shea Gilgis Alexander, mm. who I am I feel like much higher on than many 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 people, which means I'm probably wrong because I'm stupid as hell. Uh, I believe in Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think he is, you know, he's not. He doesn't jump out of the gym. He's not a really a knockdown shooter. Uh, he grinds defensively. He's a great defender. He has the length to do it. He plays hard. Uh, he does shoot the three. He shot the three pretty well in college. I don't know how well it's going to translate. Uh, but again, if it's an ugly shot, if it goes in, just let it happen. Um, he can get to the rim at will sometimes. And he can just, you know, he's so long. That he can finish over guys who are so much bigger than him just by reaching his arm out and just putting it up there against the glass. Um, he's a good enough. He's a good playmaker. He's, he's still, you know, he's not even twenty. Uh, he's young, or young-ish. He's not super young, but uh, he has time to get that basketball IQ up a little bit more. It's not the best, um, but also, I mean, he played on a on a on a on a Kentucky team where, you know, he would he would fill in. As like you know, that team was built where it's like, all right, go to a guy here, go to a guy here, go to a guy here. Where like you didn't have to be star every night, and I think that fits really well with what the Sixers are trying to do, especially since we're talking about the ten pick right now, which is where the Sixers are. Um, where like he cannot be the number one guy in a night, but also doesn't mean that he doesn't mean he's taking the night off either. Um, which I don't know. I just like I like the way he plays. Um, I'm slightly worried that he's Michael Carter Williams. Or that he is, without all the hype, essentially what Andrew Wiggins is now, um, which is not good. Uh, but at 10, I think he's probably a little bit of a risk, a little bit of a stretch. But there's like a 65 to 70% chance he's not much in the pros. And there's like a 30 to 35% chance that he's like the the hidden gem of this draft. So I like him at 10. So I had Shea, I had Shea Gilgis Alexander off my board at one point and just in doing research for this pod and in like reevaluating after creating my big board last month, I moved him to 12. So he's my number 12. Um, I, I just, I really hate his body. I think that's like a big part of it for me is that he's so skinny. He's 6'6", 180. And he just has, like, no frame at all to put on weight. He's just, like, he has those Andrew Wiggins shoulders. Um, yeah, he's very Wigginsy. He's very Wigginsy in his body, and I just, I don't know. I There's a lot of things about him. I don't I don't like his frame at all. Um, his jumper looks garbage, and it, the form is bad. It takes forever. Um, it It's just not good. I mean, it, like, decent. He shot 40%, but taking only 57 the whole year. Um, decent free throw shooter, so that's fine. But, like, it just his jumper does not look good to me. Um, I do really like his game. Like, he's a super good ball handler. He finishes inside. I think, for me, also, part of it's the fit with the Sixers is not there. Like, he does yeah. all the things. That, he's basically Markel Fultz po- post-shoulder injury and, like, n- without the frame. Um, that Marco Fultz has, but with, but with confidence. But with confidence, like he's what Marco Fultz I think will be if Marco Fultz never gets his jumper back and just decides to be Dwayne Wade and like just do all the things except take jump, long jumpers. So I mean, if you can 
if you if if you can just decide to be Dwayne Wade, I'd take that. Yeah. No, I, I just think, like, well, I guess when I'm looking at Fultz, it's like I see a lot of the same. A lot of things I would like about Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Fultz has right now. It's just that Fultz doesn't have the jumper. And, but I also think that Shea Gilgis-Alexander doesn't have the jumper. I think it's like, yeah, he shot 40% on not that many attempts, and his form looks awful, and I don't know how much you can grow it from there unless he rebuilds it. Um, it takes way too long for it to be effective, and I don't think he's going to be a guy who can pull up uh, – and like create his own shot that way. So for me, I guess I do have. I was gonna. I was I, gonna I was, say for me, I, no, I see him no, as like a Jr. Smith kind of role, but I don't think he is Jr. in the sense that Jr. can like create his own shot and hit threes and all that. And I, Jay Gilgis Alexander can get to the rack, and that's like kind of the extent of what I see. Yeah, I I had written down a minute to him that I refuse to budge because uh, I've liked him. I liked him since for a good chunk of the season, and I just like I refuse to budge on liking him. Uh, and I also wrote down that he is dollar store Dwayne Wade. So he has a little bit of Tony Roden going on, like that kind of same thing that makes me like Tony Roden. I like Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, and the same things I don't like about Tony Roden. I also don't like about Shea Gilgis Alexander. He's a better shooter, but he's not as athletic as Roden. Yeah, and I would trade that. I would, I'd make that trade in a heartbeat. So, um, okay, so that's my twelve. You have like a thirteenth guy, right? Or did you already give your 12, yeah. or was Shea Gilgis was your 11? He was my 11. So it was Trey Young. I had Trey Young as 11. So do you have Trey Young? He's not on your 12 I, or 13. He's not on my list. Uh, my 12, I have two guys because I just couldn't between, decide between the two of them. Not crazy excited about either of them, but I think they're both close there. Uh, I had uh, Sexton and Knox. Okay. Um, I think Sexton is probably like the biggest coin flip out of every player we've talked about where he could either be like mediocre poor man's John Wall or he could be like literally Tony Roden. Like that's like like the, the actual talent level there. Um, it can go either way. And then Knox, again, he's just like he's he can shoot and he can score, but he can't do really much else of anything. And I think this is where the drop-off happens mm-hmm. at like 11-12. And I think that's why... These two really don't do a ton for me. I think Sexton probably has a higher ceiling than Knox, but a lower floor. Um, yeah. And I just I have them both down there because I was not going to spend a ton of time splitting up my 12 guys. Yeah, so. I agree. I think it's uh, it really does drop off after this point. I, I feel bad for the Clippers, who have the 13th and 14th pick, I believe, in this draft. Um, yeah. or 12 and 13, because I feel like that's exactly where it falls off. It's like, yeah, maybe they'll get Lonnie Walker or Colin Sexton or Jiggle just Alexander, but then it's like Robert Williams, Kevin Knox, Zaire Smith. It really like falls apart, and it's fortunate for yeah. the Sixers because they're right there. They'll get their choice at very least of a couple guys that we mentioned who we liked. Yeah. I do think Sexton as a player is, as I said earlier about some of these guys, he's very, very much, his career will be at the whim at, at of who drafts him Mm -hmm. because he's going to need minutes and he's going to need development. But at like the 13, 14, 15 range, if he ends up there, there's not a ton of either of those things. So yeah. Clippers Clippers wouldn't be terrible. No. Yeah. Cause they're, you know, they're at a spot, but like if you start going into like the deep teens, then like you're, he might be kind of screwed. Yeah. Yeah. I could see him going if, if the, uh, Hornets are looking to move on from Kemba Walker at some point. I could see him going yeah, there. Yeah, that probably that actually that makes a ton of sense as a fit. 
Um, okay, you want to go to questions at this point? Yeah, let's go to questions. Okay, cool. Um, so Swag Champ asks us uh, what we think about a DeMar DeRozan trade. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'm out on DeMar DeRozan. I want nothing to do with DeMar DeRozan. It's like, I, I, I just, it's not what the Sixers need, right? Like, I don't want them to bring in someone who, um, he can create his own shot with this thing that, that nobody else in the Sixers can really do right now, but I don't need them to bring in a guy who can't spread the floor and is a little bit older than their core. Like, to me, he is a bringing in a B-plus player uh, to add to a core where he is going to be overshadowed by Embiid and Simmons and hopefully Fultz in the next, like, two or three years. Probably He'll be overshadowed by Dario. By Dario. Like, if I'm going to add someone, like a top-level guy, it needs to be someone who I think is on par better than what we have now, and I just... Obviously, he's better than whatever they have at the two next season, but I just think he quickly becomes like the third or fourth best player on the team, and I think he commands too much of the offense to be that. Yeah, I have no interest in really good Gerald Henderson. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's one way of putting it. Um, it is, and I did it. Uh, Colin asked, Free Colin on Twitter asked, um, if two max players showed interest in the Sixers, what would you be willing to give up to, to move Bayless's contract? Um, now, I think I think they're going to really need to move Bayless's contract regardless, even just to get one yeah. max guy. The question, I guess, becomes, like, if you could sign and trade, you could probably move, like, Covington and uh, potentially Fultz if you're trading for, like, Kawhi or something and then adding LeBron right. to that. Um it's interesting. I I think if you're getting a, a top level player, it doesn't matter. Like, I would give yeah. up a protected first if we had to, uh, just because I'd it's give up it. an unprotected first. If you're talking about signing LeBron and then bringing in say Ka- Kawhi for this example, mm-hmm. and then so you sign LeBron and then to get Kawhi, you got to do Covington, Bayless, unprotected first. I'd do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, because Bayless, they're doing you a favor. Kawhi is going to take every one of Covington's minutes anyway. And if Kawhi's here, you're not going to need that first because it's going to be like a 28th pick anyway, hopefully. And what are you going to, where are you going to find the minutes for that guy? It's really, At that point, you're kind of breaking even. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I feel like for me, if you know you're going to get the guy, it's there's very little I wouldn't trade Bayless for or give right. up Bayless's contract and give along with that. Um, yeah, because like, why, why even bother protecting the pick? Because like, if you – end up bringing in Kawhi and LeBron and then you still have to end up giving like a sixth pick or whatever like that's on you man you fucked up like it's not going to be a lottery pick and if it is then like fuck man you really screwed that somehow so you really can't put a protection on that so I'd say unprotected pick at least one uh, Covington slash Dario Covington makes more sense because he costs you more money so he clears up more space and then they're doing you a favor by taking on Jared Bayless uh, Matthew Williams asked uh, is it how realistic is it that the Sixers get any max player this year? What are the chances? Twenty percent, forty percent? What do we think? Seventy percent. I think so too. Yeah, I think if it's not LeBron, it's Paul George. If it's not him, then it drops significantly. But I wouldn't be surprised if. I mean, max contract is one thing, right? Because that's a lot of money. So if you're not talking about LeBron or Paul George or a Kawhi trade, which I would consider answering the question well, for this scenario. Or something, yeah. 
I don't think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, outside of those three, I don't think it's going to happen. But I do think, like, the likelihood that LeBron comes to the Sixers is... It's pretty damn good. It's 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 not more likely than not, but it's close. I think... All right, so we he's leaving Cleveland. Mm-hmm. He's not staying in Cleveland. Yeah. I would say the Sixers have probably, like, the second best chances of landing him. After Houston? I'd honestly say, I'd say after Los Angeles. You really think he's going to go to L.A.? I think him and Paul George are going to go to L.A. That's the, I think that's the most likely outcome of this. I don't even think if that's not, a, I think he comes here. I don't even think that team's that good, though. I just don't get I don't get it for him. Like, being as, uh, um, like, ring-conscious as he is and, like, uh, Dynasty-conscious as he is and legacy. Like, it goes, to, it goes to that team with Paul George and, like, is that – Significantly better than what he had this year with Kevin Love and the no, but if you if you if if you believe in the whole LeBron as GM idea where LeBron builds a team around him, he has a lot more leeway to build a team there than he does here. And if he wants to join a pre-built team, I think he would probably go to Houston if they can do it. Um, So I think it's like so LeBron. We know LeBron's leaving Cleveland. I'd say it's like forty-five percent chance. He would go to like an LA, like thirty Philly, and then the rest is Houston or like some weird wild card team is like a three percent chance. Yeah, to me, to me, I mean, I obviously I don't get it from his perspective, but for me, like, I I can't see it also because I feel like him going to the Lakers. It's all the negatives of like Kevin Durant going to the Warriors, but none of the positives. It's like because they're the Lakers, even though they suck ass, people are going to look at it as like a front running like, oh, LeBron went to the fucking Lakers with Paul George. Even that team's not even going to be that good. But people are going to look but at they, it I mean, in that same way, like in a front running way because it's the Lakers. But he's going to get none of the benefit that that uh, KD got for actually going to a dynasty. But it does, it does kill the he's afraid of the West argument. Yeah, but is that which plays into that? But he's so. also not even going to make the final. He probably won't even make the conference finals if he goes to the Lakers. It's also very true. Um, uh, Hemi seventy six asked, uh, "Does that full shooting from the ground video change our view on how this played out this last season?" What does it mean? This played out. Uh, does it what does do it you- change the way that we view how everything played out last season? I think is what he's asking. No, I mean, I think it. First of all, it was disgusting to watch. Yeah, um, but I think even without seeing it, we all knew something like this happened. I think. I think if you had to take a, a consensus, like a Family Feud style consensus on like what happened, it would be like a mishmash of people saying it's all mental, people saying he hurt himself trying something new, and the people saying probably a bit of both. And I'm in the probably a bit of both camp. So. Seeing it wasn't great, but I was convinced that it happened anyway. So it really doesn't change my opinion of of what was going on. And also, this fucking nineteen year old kid, it's not like he sat down and was like, "I'm going to start shooting the ball from the floor" because I know everything. He was told this by people he trusted. So it's not on him, which again does not change my opinion of the year. And I do think part of it is also still mental. Um. So yeah, it doesn't really change my opinion of it. I I would have preferred to never have seen that video. <laughs> But it doesn't really change the way I feel about the whole situation. I'm just happy that he's working out with Drew Hamlin this summer, and I, I have some trust that it'll come back around. I think if we start yeah, we'll seeing see. if we, if he plays summer league or we start seeing videos 
of him and it it's not better by like late July, early August, like heading into the season, I'll be a little worried. But right now I'm I'm holding out some hope that it's gonna normalize yeah. and he'll be fine. I guess Thanks to be It'll be harder for him than it was for Embiid working with Hanlon, I think, because Embiid didn't really have a jump shot and then built one. Fultz is rebuilding a broken one, which I think is definitely harder. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll go to, into the last question because this is related. Uh, Chris mm-hmm. K. asked, if we had to choose between... I, I picked this one also because I think it's, it has a funny typo. Uh, if you had to choose between one player getting a jumpsuit... And one and one mm. never developing one. Who would you choose, Fultz or Simmons? And obviously, he means jump shot. But I will say this to start off: there is no player who would look better in a jumpsuit than Dario Saric. See, I feel like you have to be tall to rock the jumpsuit and look good. So I think I think He's no, no, no. I'm saying I'm agreeing. I'm saying it's got to be Simmons. Oh, in yeah. this scenario, Simmons over Fultz, but Dario also would look good. And Bede probably the best in a jumpsuit of anyone on the team. I think the taller, the, the, the more outlandishly tall you are, the more you can get away with it. If you're TJ McConnell, yeah. you look bad in a jumpsuit. I mean, I'm also picturing like Michael Myers jumpsuit, Mm-mm. like not like like I'm picturing like you know basically like a Dickies jumpsuit overalls for like a okay, but, um, which I would, like definitely we'll see, Dario. Then you're right. We'll see James Harden wearing that to a game next year. So, um, I think the answer is obvious that you want Fultz to develop it. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think Ben Simmons could because be... Fultz without a jump shot is kind of bad. Ben Simmons without a jump shot is already pretty good. I, I honestly think also it's like not that important. I think I'd rather. This is maybe a hot take. I'd rather guarantee myself that Ben Simmons develops a left hand uh, in uh, finishing around the rim and just becomes a better finisher. And if that meant him never getting a jump shot out of the 10-footer that he's sort of comfortable taking sometimes, I would take that trade. I would rather have him just be a really nice finisher yeah. around the rim uh, and be able to use both his left and right hand uh, versus him develop a jumper. Whereas Fultz, if he develops a jumper, that's like the most important thing. Yeah, I mean, look at it this way. what's What would you rather have? Ben Simmons be a 40% three-point shooter and Marco Fultz be a 25% or vice versa? Say it again. The answer. Would you rather have Ben Simmons be a 40% three-point shooter and Fultz be a 25% or Fultz be a 40% and Ben Simmons be a 25%? Yeah, totally. It's very. It's obviously Fultz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's all I got. I got nothing else, yeah, we man. we went like an hour and 40 minutes. So I think that's probably good. Everyone turned this off about 58 minutes ago. Right after, right after I called Marvin Bagley Christian Wood. Hopefully it was after before I called uh, Sachin Gupta. Sanjay Gupta. <laughs> that was definitely the uh, the drop off point for. Yeah, that's when everyone was like, "Yo, I'm unfollowing this podcast." <laughs> Sanjay Gupta. Oh man! All right, it's kind of close. That was pretty close, but the image the mm. image of Sanjay Gupta in the the war room with Hanky is funny. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up again. I just screwed myself over. All right, yeah. So we will probably have our next pot will probably be after the draft, right? You know? I think so, or or right before yeah. if anything com- starts to come out. Um, yeah, if anything else was to happen, but if everything goes you know smooth sailing until then, I probably wouldn't be so after the draft. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, feel free to mock us for our our big board takes, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. All right, see ya. What do they know about love? 
Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed.